This is Principles in Practice, a Shape of Advice podcast brought to you by Professional Planner and BlackRock. My name is Tan Sharp and I'm the editor of Professional Planner. This series is a conversational style exploration of the different elements of practice management for advisors, drawing on the knowledge and experience of people that contribute to the delivery of advice to Australian consumers. Feel free to visit professionalplanner.com.au or get in touch to join the conversation. And now, please enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Tan Sharp here, editor at Professional Planner. I'm joined by Peter Warren, director at Advice Technology Consultancy Outfit for Neurogroup, and Mr. Jason Poole, principal at GPA Financial Services, who will be giving us the advice of you today. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Tan. Now, you have to assume that advisors who can harness the benefits of advice technology are positioning themselves for sustainable growth. But of course, the road to efficiency is paved with potholes. And not all advice tech is equal. Some would say that other than managed accounts, uh, advice tech has actually lagged in many ways. Uh, I suspect Peter might have something to say about that, but uh, we'll set the table a little bit first. Pete, you run a consultancy firm helping advisors better use technology in their practice. When you're having those initial meetings with principals, what problems are they looking to overcome? Um, Tan, the, the problems tend to fit in two categories. One would be, I'd say, practice efficiency, probably the broad, the broad theme. Um, and many principals now really feel like they have their feet to the fire when it comes to um, the cost to serve. It's become a real issue. Um, it's a lot more uh, apparent to firms now what their actual cost of service is, and obviously technology is a logical solution to bridge those gaps. And I think the second one would be around, you know, improving the client experience. So COVID's obviously accelerated a lot of trends um, that we thought would play out. Um, so everything we thought was sort of five years away is probably happening now. Uh, and so many firms are now looking to expand their technology horizon to say, well, how can we provide a, a better experience for more clients? So um, the two issues are uh, closely correlated, but I'd say ultimately that's what's driving the interest in technology transformation. Okay. Jason, do any of those concerns resonate with you as a, as a principal and, and practice manager? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The It's interesting how people don't see things in a positive light when they have to change. So, uh, for example, uh, if you look at just Zoom, where so many, I was doing webinars two years ago trying to help clients come on board and just do virtual meetings. And it's only now, a couple of years on, they're going, gee, my bottom line's looking really good. I'm not doing all the travel I used to do. I myself, we have 40% of our clients in Sydney. I've had two trips there in two years. It saves me per annum, I'm saving about $54,000. That's a good bump in profit. Indeed. So... But for the vast majority of advisors, they saw this as a real negative initially. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, a lot of the time, new technology is seen as a, a negative at first, and it's a, real, it's a real hump that needs to be overcome. And uh, you know, change is terrifying. That's why there's change managers out there that, that guide you through it. But uh, it does energize you and it energizes your practice as well. Jason, how do you know when to update your technology? I feel like that's a real sticking point for advisors. And I ask because there's always new technology, right? And, and lots of variables go into knowing when to update and invest in new technology. What's your, your sort of catalyst or your prompt? Or is it more of an ongoing thing that you're always working on? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, uh, most of the technology that we change is already working really well. It's just that we found something that will do it a little bit better. So, 
I don't wait till something's broken. And I must admit, it's it's a it's kind of a conundrum mentally, because the old saying, you know, if it ain't broke, you know, that kind of thing doesn't actually hold in this space. I think you constantly need to be looking for better efficiencies or better ways. A really easy example was we went to digital signatures very, very early on, like I'm talking sort of eight plus years ago, and we were using an iPad because they could sign. My clients still talk about God having to use the finger, you know, like mm. on the on the screen. But what I saw was that we could save that file and then email it, and it was great. I then moved to... Uh, it, it struck me, there was again, it was through um, a, a lack of some communication. I need to save a file. And I realised, hang on, if I used at that point, we, we started using Dropbox. Then I didn't need that step of emailing because it was saved automatically. Wow, you know, that was a revelation. But for the Dropbox, I needed uh, a screen that I could sign. And the first ones that came out with that really well were Surface Pro. Yes. My point is... I was constantly looking to refine and thinking. And so now the clients were very happy um, because they're actually using a pen and it, and it feels a lot more like actually signing a document. But our efficiency wildly improved and it means I could be working in, we're talking to Peter's point, with client experience. I was seeing a client in Sydney. They've signed something. They've gone, I've done a quick file note and uh, it's actioned that day. And the client would contact me Regularly, this would happen. They go, aren't you still in Sydney? And I'll go, yeah. And they go, but they've already done that thing and followed it up and I've had, you know, so there's that wow moment. Yeah, it's a real small change, but uh, has has Very significant yeah. Yeah, effects. I think it's a good point you make there, Jason, around client expectations of change. I think um, the one thing, I, you know, our, our guys have been reading a lot about lately is um, this concept of liquid expectations, that when certain... Um, other aspects of our lives improve in a certain way digitally. So, you know, how we consume content on video, how we engage with other professionals like accountants and doctors now virtually, that they reasonably expect those improvements to sort of cascade into other areas of their lives. And I think financial advice is a big one where they've had a very analogue experience for the forever and now because of these liquid expectations they are I would argue expecting advisors to improve in this digital capacity I think that's a really important theme particularly for advisors who are maybe resistant themselves personally to technology but need to understand their clients might be on a different wavelength yeah absolutely Um, I was just going to add to that is the the other point which is I think a real positive is we try to share what we're doing a lot of our clients are small business people themselves. And so we, and, and executives and, and professionals, uh, which are also small business people. So a, a really simple example, something like a cam scanner, you know, now we've been using this again since, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven years with all of them, not all of them, many of them have children. And you get that note home from school and the thing, oh God, I've got to sign it. Now I've got to scan it. Now I've got to email it. And I'm like, hey, why don't you just use this app? How does that work? And then I go, wouldn't you be able to use this in your business? Or, for example, with ID as an advisor, you know, you've got to get their ID. Yes. Well, hang on, I'll just scan it. And I go, how are you doing that? What do you, you see how it cut out the edges, took out the background? They're going, and you'd see that light bulb moment where they're going, wow, I can use this myself. I think if you adopt, instead of keeping all your little secrets to yourself, if you actually share the technology you're using, then you're going to uh, a, a really rarefied space because your clients are enjoying those meetings as well 
but they're actually going, I'm going to get some tips. This like, Absolutely. So, so the pressure's kind of on you to keep it fresh. Yeah. Along the lines of those small changes that make a difference, like DocuSign and, and, and scanning documents yeah. and things like that, have you got uh, got video recording for SOAs going in your office? Uh, yes, we use, look, the probably the biggest thing that I've changed in the last, uh, well, it's probably, again, it's probably five years. I used to use a system that was called Streaker. You probably guess why I changed using that, but <laughs> I had a... I had a client call me and he said, man, what are you doing sending my wife a text with Streaker? And I said, look, it's, it's hey, I kept my socks on. It's all good. You know, so, but, so we use Loom a lot for that with um, recording. I, I'm not I'm not recording when I'm doing, but if it's a Zoom meeting, I'll record all of the Zoom meetings where presenting a statement of advice or something like sure. that. But if it's, if, if it's what I generally do, we'll do a follow-up. So I'll use Loom. I'll have the statement of advice on my screen and I'll go, hey, Tan, just following up, great to see you. As we went through, and I'll touch on those key points that cover, you know, this, those, the, the executive summary, this is the reasons we're doing, this is why, these are the fees that we discussed, this is being, you're all happy, you'll see that. And so you'll do it that way. But I have to say, that's probably the number one thing for me at the moment. I might use Loom, I don't know, it'd be close to half a dozen times a day where I'm, to avoid follow-up meetings, not just, for me to avoid them because I don't want to do them, but actually so the clients, they've already had the meeting with me, you know, it might be 45 minutes or an hour. It's hard to get a couple together. They can watch that in the, again, the experience. They can watch it when they're free. Yeah. They can watch it on their phone. They can watch. And so you're referencing a document. It's so much quicker, like maybe two to five minutes, depending on the depth of the message. But my goodness, that is, and you've got the empirical sort of evidence. You know, you've got the, the compliance <laughs> the record. Safe. Yep. See what I did? Absolutely. See what, and and it's uh, what I really like with it is there's a, a phrase we use very regularly, which is as promised. And so um, we like to be a firm, and I like to be an advisor that, that keeps, you know, our promises. And so I always start that as promised, we're followed up on that thing. Here's the revised reporting based on the meeting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it's there. And then you can actually see, yes, they've watched it, uh, and then they can re- respond. We get so many positive messages back from people going, that made a lot of sense. I get it now. You know. Yeah, whatever. yeah. I think the regulator is actually really keen to get this going as well. And and, and maybe um, Pete can speak to this a little bit more, but I feel like the regulator, from what I can hear, are quite keen to get some more video SOAs going because it reduces the delta between the information that's imparted to the client and vice versa and what's actually written in that record of advice and the statement of advice. So it's really important that with video, the good thing is that you you know exactly what's transpired. Peter, is that becoming more prevalent in advice on your end? Do you see it a lot? Uh, I think, I mean, look, we work with a whole range of um, organisation sizes. So I would certainly say that um, this is an area that some of the larger super fund and scale device providers are particularly looking at because this is a they have a real um, challenge in terms of trying to scale their models and provide more efficient um, communication methods to multiple members. So they're probably looking at this in a deeper way. But I absolutely think that um, though that use case that Jason articulated is just a great example. Like, I, I do wonder sometimes whether um, the digital SOA concept is Perhaps a, it's a very broad statement and, and quite as most advisors or power planners know, a lot of the effort that goes into producing a plan 
is not just about a, a video. It's a lot of the research and modeling and all the things that go in behind it. So there's two there's two jobs to be done there as far as I'm concerned. One is actually producing the advice and the second is how we communicate to the client. Um, I think there's a, a whole raft of solutions out there that, as Jason already said, all, almost give us a digital SOA experience. And I think we've just got to be a little careful as an industry that we don't but perhaps over, over invest in, in a concept that um, in many cases could be done with existing technologies, um, which, you know, we often um, preach at Panera not to throw millions and millions of dollars building something new when, in fact, those solutions can already exist. It's, it's often just how we use them that needs to change. Sure, sure. Uh, along those lines, Pete, Advice Tech has, has promised so much over the years, I think, uh, but other than managed accounts, the narrative is that it's it's been a bit of a damp squib. It's um, yep. advisors are still really using the same kind of X-Plan tools um, as a CRM that they were to write SOAs and, and track data feeds uh, that they yep. were sort of 10, 15 years ago. Elements of this may be true. There hasn't really been a game changer, I think, or a game breaker in advice technology. Um, but do you think, Pete, that the solutions are there? It's just a matter of, of inertia for advisors so that they're kind of stuck in the same patterns. Yeah, it's a, there's a few layers that turn. It's a it's an issue. It's a question that comes up the most. Um, yes, advisors are probably frustrated because they look at other areas of their lives. Go, gee, why, how come my software doesn't work um, this way? Um, probably a couple of uncomfortable truths. One is that um, advisor numbers have effectively halved in the last decade in terms of um, the addressable market. So if you're a software developer looking to build software for this industry, that the market has been shrinking in Australia, which obviously makes it probably makes it less attractive to throw huge amounts of capital into those businesses. So for now, we estimate the addressable market for soft financial advice software in Australia is about $150 million. And if you sort of compare that to other verticals like accounting, where you've seen huge innovation, it's quite small. The accounting market's probably over a billion in terms of a market size. So that's probably why we probably haven't seen that a rush of innovation. What I would say, though, is we've seen some really great, um, I guess, at the fringes, a lot of really interesting um, developments come in terms of um, client experience, SOA generation, um, you know, uh, data collection, particularly, there's been a lot of really good innovation there. And we're certainly hearing all the right things from the major technology companies who have all in themselves been um, either acquired or merged by into very large organisations, which gives me a lot of comfort that there's a lot more capital coming into these um, into these businesses. Um, I think financial advice software is now a global industry, and I think those providers that are operating those multiple jurisdictions, UK, US, South Africa, Australia, um, are the ones that are going to innovate quite significantly. Um, but I, I still think this game changer everyone's kind of waiting for just isn't quite there because mm. I'm just not yet to see real evidence that someone's throwing significant effort at it. Yeah. It's just out for you. You mentioned mergers there. We saw a couple of mergers this week, I think, with Wellflow 2 and War and another group. So do you expect yeah. more of that in the in the in the next few oh. years? I think so, yeah. I think certainly those um, smaller technology companies that maybe um, have had some early wins with good early adopters and, you know, that's always the challenge for software is you always find a good inner cohort of people who are, um, you know, the, the technology first movers. Yep. Uh, but trying to cross the chasm into that sort of mass market is always a real challenge and advice is no different. Um, I think it's quite logical that those providers um, will merge with other perhaps um, aligned parties who have got distribution themselves or a, a, an end-to-end -end product solution to offer. Uh, for, for me, that's just a logical play. So certainly no surprise to see Wealtho2 and Raw um, get together. I think for you know, there's a certain cohort of the market where who do want an end-to-end -end platform advice solution. So I'm sure they'll find their niche. Absolutely. Yeah, along those lines, I'm wondering if some of the inertia of advisors in picking up and adopting new technology or being the early adopters that you, you mentioned there, 
is that a lot of the systems are standalone, that, that they only do one part of the process, you know, be it SOA writing or compliance or fact finds or being an investment platform. Are advisors reluctant to take on the project of, of building a tech stack? I mean, it's quite a daunting process um, for someone who's very much a professional in one area, but uh, not, not sort of a uh, technology consultant. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, and we certainly we speak to a lot of firms that have probably embarked on a tech stack project and it becomes a tech pile pretty quickly <laughs> um, because they've just embraced a lot of solutions that don't necessarily connect to each other and there's not necessarily a, a coherent technology strategy for the, for the business. I mean, quite honestly, before we sort of do any large projects with any business, we often say, well, just give us the actual operational business plan for the next five years. Um, what what are your plans from the M&A perspective? What kind of people have you got? What kind of clients do you want to serve? All those aspects. I think you've got to nail that part before you actually start looking at technology. And it's quite often get the, um, just the sort of, in the same way as in business, we often throw people at problems. Um, we can often throw technology at problems as well, expecting different outcomes. And I would I would say that um, chances of success are often greatly amplified when, when we work with businesses that have really sound business plans they're trying to execute on and they just come and ask, just show us how to get there with the right tech. And that's a hell of a lot easier to work on. Right. I can imagine it's much easier for you to plan if you've got that, you know, that business outlook to go on. Do you find yourself pulling apart the sort of technology stack that that businesses have when you come in? Ultimately, that's what you need to do? Yeah, quite often. I think it's, and it's not just pulling it apart in terms of, um, it's working out um, what systems they're using to do what. So we, we use a a pretty common innovation framework called jobs to be done. What are the jobs to be done in our business and what systems are we using to do those jobs? Um, that's 101 stuff, which really defines um, to make sure we don't have replication of systems and processes. We often find in many businesses, people are using different systems to do the same job. Um, can happen quite a lot when you've got businesses that have um, merged over the years. And that's a really common growth trajectory for advice businesses where they've merged firms in, but they've kept a lot of underlying processes underneath that. So um, so I, I suppose for lack of a better term, Tan, that's what we would definitely call picking apart. It's a little uncomfortable for businesses because yeah. um, there are little fiefdoms that do sometimes exist in in, in practices. Um, but ultimately, if you're trying to get a consistent end-to-end -end approach to technology and actually reduce costs, that's the only way to do it, in our opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember how much uh, overlap there was when I was back in advice. In the investment platforms that we used, I remember at one stage we had about 12 to 15, a lot of those legacy platforms. Uh, but but consolidating those is often a matter of sort of getting clients on board as well. And that's that's a project on itself. This episode is proudly sponsored by BlackRock. As a fiduciary to investors and a leading provider of financial technology, BlackRock helps millions of people build savings that serve them throughout their lives by making investing easier and more affordable. From integrating environmental, social and governance practices into its investment processes to creating positive impact by serving communities in Australia, BlackRock is dedicated to helping clients, employees, shareholders and communities achieve long-term financial well-being. To learn how BlackRock can help you and your clients, please visit the BlackRock Australia website. Jason, do you think it's um, it's just a matter of getting started for advisors with picking up new technology and upgrading your systems? Do you think once you've started, it's easier to move on to the next? Uh, yeah, look, that's a good point. I, I, and I think that's kind of what we've done. Is like our practice has been running for 48 years. It's funny, I was kind of reflecting earlier, uh, just before this call, my father set the tone in the mid 80s, he had this system, he got this exorbitant fee uh, for a, a, a Wang computers, I remember it was called. 
And I remember um, the guy said to him at the time, uh, he said, you will never need another system. This is eight megabytes. You know, like, <laughs> wow. You know, <laughs> um, incidentally, they had 33,000 employees and a turnover of $3 billion and were, I think they filed for bankruptcy in 92. So it's interesting just knowing those sorts of things. You know, in the back of your mind, you go, look, you can't just, and I think that's probably one of the difficulties. And I think part of the inertia, as, as Peter mentioned, you know, it can be overwhelming. If you're looking at all the different systems out there, one of the problems I think is that people are looking at a system that will be their set and forget. That's it. We'll get this system and then we'll never have to, you know, that'll be our Wang computer, <laughs> you know, and I think that uh, obviously doesn't exist. So I, I like things that give efficiencies, client experience, uh, and yes, if they're interconnected, that's great. Um, but at the same time, they don't have to be, as long as you can get things to work reasonably well. Um, like you were talking before, a lot of the real sort of bugbears with uh, advice practices are the big things like onboarding new clients, um, you know, CRM systems that really hum versus sort of X plan, which is like a house without a lot of design features, you know, it's kind of just stuff. And so trying to, you know, corral those things and make sure you're using a fair bit from it or as much as you can. Uh, but, you know, in a nutshell, yes, you just need to, uh, dare I say, sure shank it, but you just got to chip away. You just got to really start, get going. Yeah. And, and find a few little wins. Um, and it's amazing. Like that loom thing I talked about before is, yeah, and that's not unique to us. I know there's other practices using it but I know fewer practices that are using it than more that are, uh, that's a couple of hundred bucks a year. You know, putting in like a Calendly system or something like, you know, whatever, you know, um, one, of, one of those uh, booking systems is a couple of hundred dollars a year, but has massive uh, convenience in terms of not having to, uh, you know, chase clients and clients chasing and back and forth and trying to book an appointment. And again, they can look at it when they would like to. To Peter's point, you know, the, the clients are expecting uh, that you have good systems like that. And the psychology is really good. If you've got really good systems and if you're showing whether it's a, a, a simple scanning thing or you're sending through a Loom video so they can look at it at their leisure um, and you're doing it competently, uh, they, you know, the inference is these guys are pretty good. Like if they're managing all of this pretty well, maybe they're managing my money well or maybe that they can, you know, do their research well with the risk solutions, whatever it happens to be. And I think if you look and present like an old clunker, unfortunately, you're an old clunker, you know, yeah. and there aren't that many people, there are fewer and fewer people who want to work like that. Yeah, and I think to, to the industry's credit, there aren't many advisors left like that. I think most advisors are really on the game and, and if not early adopters, yeah. I think a, a lot of the time advisors don't want to be the, the first adopters, but they're pretty sharp in terms of tech and they need to be because they need to, as you say, project that to their clients and facilitate their needs. I think the toughest thing on picking up the new tech, especially with the bigger projects, is really the prospect of running two systems at the same time. I mean, if you look at replacing a CRM, if you say you're moving from X plan and you like the look of Salesforce, you really need to yeah. run two systems for, you could you could elaborate on this, you need to run two systems for quite a while. and. Yeah. The, the prospect of pulling apart all your records of vice, all your data feeds, all your client files is, is intimidating, right? Yeah, I, I mean, the reality is 
more businesses have changed licensee than they've changed software. Mm. You know, so and I would argue uh, anyone's done it says it's a t- t- long process to change licensee. I think it's even longer to change software. Um, we often hear businesses who are planning to run dual system for a month, and this is a cost issue, right? They want to let go of the other system as quickly as possible because they want double on cost. Yet we hear stories where it's often six to 12 months where systems have been run in parallel and effectively blow up the whole cost-benefit analysis of making the move in the first place. Um, so I think that whole change management piece, getting doing all the work up front, getting the data structured correctly because um, it is crap in, crap out. That's how data, the software works. Um, and and I think anyone that's gone through a change management process like that will tell you that it always took three or four times longer than they anticipated. And um, that is a skill set itself. Obviously, there's um, plenty of businesses like ours and others out there that help firms in that process. We would often ask the question, though, before you do leap, um, why you're making the change? What's the key issue that's driving that? And I'll guarantee you that eight out of 10 times, there's a good reason to stay where you are and just potentially change the things around the outside that Jason was alluding to um, before that. Um, that would often be the best course of action because I do think the cost benefit and the risk you take can be a challenge. Um, we've worked with a number of businesses that have changed software and then actually found themselves having to go back within two or three years um, to where they were originally. Um, the, the financial impact and the downtime, of that's just enormous. So I really think this is big software changes need to be done with considerable care and diligence. Yeah. Yeah, you really need to measure what the delta is between you've got and what you what you could potentially have yeah. there. Um, but as to the question of why you're doing this, I guess the catch-all answer would be that it increases capacity if you get it right. I mean, if you get it yeah. right, tech is really about increasing what you do with the resources that you have. Yeah, and that's the big unlock, Tan, I think. You know, that there's, this, there's a lot of... Um, industry paradigms around um, advisor to client ratios and staff to client ratios. And I I would love to see us challenge those ratios in, in industry using technology in, in a way to get that, get that model right between really ultra efficient but still highly personalised service. Um, we have to because the reality is there's a hell of a lot more Australians out there wanting advice than we are able to provide currently with our advisor numbers. So I would love to see the industry work really collaboratively on that issue um, as a North Star because I think that is actually what's going to really move move us forward and, and potentially challenge that paradigm that an advisor can only see 150 clients a year. Maybe it's a lot more. And yeah. I'd love to hear more publicly from advisors who are doing that because I think they need to share those stories. Yeah, there are models that, that, that sort of – accommodate those advisors that have more than 150 clients uh, and that yep. sort of needs to happen if we're going to have more Australians under advice. Um, Jason, at GPA, did you plan tech adoption out as a long-term project or, or kind of just take it up as you go one bite at a, at a time? And and did you did you have help? Because unless a practice have, has enough scale to employ operations experts and IT consultants and, and, and people like Pete, it's really out of an advisor's skill set, isn't it? Uh, yeah, look, it is. Uh, our, our situation was more just chipping away. Um, there wasn't really a plan, uh, like well, like a you know, like a, they say you would do for a business plan. Partly because things just change too quickly. It's hard to plan for stuff you don't even know. However, um, the fundamental thing that we've kept in the in the I suppose the forefront of our minds when we've considered anything is to try and keep things human. 
And so like those videos, that's actually a really human way of communicating with your client as a follow-up. Plus it does the wow and it saves you at a second meeting and all those sorts of things. But really that's about as connected as I think you can get, you know, virtually, uh, plus the convenience and all the rest of it. But I, I think the, so I, I, and also because we've been doing this for a while, part of my stuff through being a little bit selfish, um, I have a French wife. I, you know, we, uh, except for COVID, we've been traveling probably on average every 18 months. I wanted to be able to stay in contact. Um, not, I wanted to have a decent break, but if I needed to, and I needed to jump in, I needed to have systems where I'd be able to do that. So we adopted, you know, uh, we went into the cloud in February, 2008, you know, and um, the the example there was my uh, my team were saying we, we needed to keep our server and, you know, have to keep your server. And uh, so we, we effectively um, got to a point where we'd put everything into the cloud, the server was still there, and they're just adamant, like Peter was saying, you know, possibly running these two systems side by side, yeah, like a double ledger kind of, it's crazy. Then I told them, look, we're going to, we're going to make the change and just be the cloud. No, 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 no. Then I told them that we'd had the server turned off for two weeks. So they, what they thought they were backing <laughs> up was just nothing. You know, wow. looks, guess what? Everything still worked, you know. So it's it's a lot of it is the mindset. But um, I, I think you, you know, I do enjoy it. I, I found that I've become comfortable with being uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, and, and and challenging things and so forth. And look, it's it's led to better client outcomes. It's led to efficiencies. It's led to scale. But again, what those things do is that actually allows me more time to sometimes just pick up the phone and talk to a client. Things that if you're not doing things efficiently, you don't, as, as Peter said, you just do not have that time. You're so frazzled just trying to stay in the game um, and, you know, endless changes, compliance and so forth. I think by doing things really sensibly, one of the things that does bias is more time. And if you, you could use that to play golf, you could use it to spend with your family or a mix of everything. But what I like is it does allow us to do that more old school client contact because we've got the time to do it. How do you accommodate uh Jason, the older clients who might be a bit reluctant, or even the younger ones, of course, who might be a bit reluctant to get on and do video chats uh, for meetings and, and might be a little bit reluctant to use DocuSign and things like that. Do you still have to see, keep some legacy systems running or how do you work with that? Uh, yeah, look, that's a good question. We have very few. Um, my After this call, I have a, I'm, I'm presenting a terms of engagement to an 84-year-old fellow, you know, on a Zoom call. Um, who actually lives in my city. So it's, uh, but it's more COVID concerns. So look, the way that I've done it is I have, um, I don't use the word coaxed them, I've helped them. So I'll do it as a phone call. And then I'll say, look, I really want to show you something. And then I'll talk them through it. So the record, the absolute record, most people are pretty good when you're doing it. And if they've got you know, I've got an iPhone, so FaceTime and just show show me what you've got. And I'll say, no, click on that button, you know. So it says join video. So do I join? Yes, of course, <laughs> bloody join the video. <laughs> so you click the video. But the, the you know, the, the encouraging people to do it, giving them a reason. So most of the people, not all, but the vast majority of those people are usually grandparents. And I said, this is going to, one, make you look unbelievably cool. 
within your own friends. But two, you'll be able to see your grandchildren. So with COVID and that sort of thing, not only will you be able to see them, you'll be able to record the call if your wife wasn't there or vice versa. Oh, but how would I ever do that? It's like three buttons. Really? So uh, the record was 34 minutes. It took me to onboard a guy to download Zoom okay. and get that thing. Right? Most people, it's usually within five minutes. And normally one of the issues you get is the, uh, so why do I want to do that? Not to be a pain, I just want them to be able to see my screen. As long as we can get to the point, so it doesn't even have to be perfect, as long as they can see my screen, it's a lot easier to go through a planning document or something like that than trying to explain it, you know. Um, so with the audio, I go, that's fine, just hit speaker. And so we might even just have the audio you know, on the phone, but they can see the screen. Sure. And that's an introductory thing. So we, we've been doing that for, well, we've, we've been doing online meetings for, uh, well, since Skype was around. So, right. you know, mid-2000s, but really um, since about 2013, have really been doing it a lot. But simply by encouraging them. And, you know, my dad's a good example, you know, not great with technology, he was one. He didn't break the record, but he was pretty close. And so we, but the point is, he showed all his friends, "Hey, look how cool I am!" So yeah, um, yeah, it's um, most get it eventually. I'm glad that you. Uh, I'm glad that you're bringing up Skype and Wang and all the legacy systems that kind of you know gave us a <laughs> uh, a big leg up to get here. Peter, what are some of your useful guiding principles for principals expanding their technology? What should they keep in mind? Yeah, um, I mean, I think table stakes is data management. So I do find that many technology projects go off the rails because data is quite poorly structured and administered in a lot of advice businesses. It's a bit like cleaning up the attic. No one really wants to do yeah. it, but it has to be done. A lot of businesses have grown through acquisition over the years and particularly following FOFA and all the changes that we've had in the last five or six years, we just haven't seen a lot of evidence of client records uh, being really well managed. Um, one of the industry um, consultants did some diagnostics recently and said that um, on, on average they're finding almost 30% of client records don't have things like date of birth and addresses, like really simple stuff. And so I'd say that's 101. Um, I think actually doing an audit of what you're using at the moment is really important. Um, COVID, we found, have accelerated a lot of, um, I guess, people within practices taking initiative themselves, which is awesome in many senses, but out of necessity, but you, you may find some of your staff are actually using systems you're not aware of, um, which is kind of an interesting one and mm. poses some um, security challenges as well. And then I think the, the final point, we're seeing a lot of practices now um, do two things. Larger ones are actually looking to appoint chief technology type roles, um, which are probably the, the future practice manager, I suppose you'd probably think of them, yeah. or at least find a way to supplement that role in their business. Or at but, least making um, that a big part really, of the operations role, I think, yeah. Yeah, quite rightly. So so seeing more of that technology capability or the, the sort of bringing that, you know, that role um, through, even through a virtual service, trying to do that as well. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the firms that I think are really nailing it, that actually put together technology committees to a degree where they actually just get together semi-regularly to talk about how the business is going from a technology perspective. They look at efficiency and client experience and they engage various parts of the business, advisors, support staff, power planners and others to help make technology decisions across the practice. And I think that in itself is a good process to, to do. So uh, they'd be the four things I would do as quick wins um, that are very controllable. 
in a yeah, business right good. now. Yeah, very good. Jason, looking back, we'll finish on this one, mate. What advice would you have for yourself 10 years ago as you started your, your tech journey? Um, I suppose, uh, look, I, 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 I'd focus on taking those steps and actually just, um, there are even things I look at now, I go, yeah, we could have adopted that sooner. And um, I, I think it, once once you get some wins under your belt, you kind of get a little bit of confidence. Uh, it's not being afraid that something's not going to work. Uh, I'm actually pretty conservative, so I don't I don't like the risk of you know as Peter said that's horrifying. Running two systems side by side, losing efficiencies and profitability, and, and upsetting everyone you know that's terrible sort of stuff. So, um, but I, I think looking back, uh, the smartest thing is to think of what what problem are you wanting to improve or solve, or it doesn't even have to be a problem, but what situation do you want to improve. And going to the end point and trying to work backwards, well, what do we need? And then you go, well, I'd need good audio. I'd need, a, okay, I think I'm going to need a video. I think it's going to be, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and then literally setting aside a little bit of time to actually do it. So like our stuff is I, I usually on a Friday, every fortnight, I usually spend a half an hour, even though all our systems are working really well, I generally will, I'll probably look for a podcast like this or something and listen to yep. something that's out there and just go, particularly a lot with what's happening in the States, There's, they have a lot of really cool tech. So a lot of the ideas, we don't always have the exact solution here, but it might trigger something you can do a workaround. So uh, it's just to realise that this is a crucial plank in in running a modern practice. And I, and I think uh, that's probably my key message is, is a lot of advisors don't give it enough uh, attention and focus. Yeah, fair call. Make time. Well, it's been a, a really interesting chat, guys, and I think uh, an ongoing one that'll that'll sort of grow in importance over the next few years, uh, especially in the context of a modern contemporary advice business. Thank you both for joining us, uh, Jason and Peter. You're welcome. Thanks, Sam.